This is Anecdotally Speaking, the podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, I'm Sean Callahan, And I'm Mark Shank. Well, we've um, got an interesting uh, podcast for you today. We're going to delve into a little bit of history. It's, I guess it's a great source of uh, stories. I mean, there's just so much things written that you can draw from, great books, uh, great documentaries, all sorts of things. And uh, movies, of course. And movies, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we for a long time, you know, we've been drawing things from historical accounts to, to sort of feed into some of our work, actually. Uh, I remember in those early days when we were doing a lot of work around knowledge management and we wrote a paper that sort of took some ideas from a book that I read called Undaunted Courage, and it was about Lewis and Clark's exploration of the West in the US. And the thing that I really noticed about that, that is that they sort of almost like they did the preparation for their journey. They sort of played it out three times, right? So there was the first imaginary journey that they went through, and it was Jefferson sitting down there with uh, you know Lewis and Clark, you know, sort of planning out what the the journey would be. So they had that in their mind. The second one was then when they gathered everyone at St. Louis to uh, get ready for the journey and they were practicing. It was all about practice. Like, like building the skills they needed to survive the long trek. Oh, yeah. No, you know, rafting, climbing mountains. All the above, yep. you know. And uh, and so, again, you know, the, it was building up exactly what this journey was going to be like. And then, of course, the actual journey in, in many ways wasn't ex- like what they were preparing for, but all that preparation helped them. It helped them to adapt. Yeah. And so we were using that uh, the metaphor of the three journeys from Lewis and Clark as a way of developing knowledge strategies. That's the one. Yeah. That's the connection. Exactly. So Because I guess we were thinking that just to sort of have a very linear strategy wasn't going to help a lot of organizations. You needed approach which helped the leaders go through that imaginary process to, for more employees to go through the practice process and then have tools and techniques in place so that you can learn from the journey as you're actually going through it. And that's right. I remember that we adopted that metaphor of the three journeys because our approach to strategy was based on our understanding of complexity. A lot of the thinking around strategy is that the metaphor they use is building a railway and you know you plan out where the tracks are going to go and you design where the stations will be and the access points to the station and you figure out exactly how long it's going to take you to get from station A to station B and kind of people build strategy with that as the metaphor and it's going to fail every time yeah wouldn't it be yeah it's it's the world just doesn't work that way right so yeah that's I, that's right we use that because that we were trying to overcome this the mindset challenge that people had about designing and executing strategy from linear to one that's based on complexity. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So if you, if you ever want to seek out that paper and, and read it, it was it was written by myself and David Drake. So uh, David's an, another uh, fabulous practitioner in the area of narrative coaching, actually, is his field. And so we wrote that a number of years ago. So do a search on, on Google. You'll probably find it, actually. Now, So I guess that's a good lead-in to this story because yeah. the – story that we're going to share today is a story that, again, is a historical story. Yes. It's actually sourced from quite a well-known book, a book by Napoleon Hill called Think and Grow Rich, first published in 1937, reprinted many times since. Yes. Um, and so this story takes place in during the Colorado Gold Rush. The story is about a guy called Darcy, 
who lived in Williamsburg in Maryland. And Darcy's uncle went off to the Colorado gold rush and staked his claim. And his uncle was a really hard worker. With pick and shovel, he toiled for weeks and weeks and weeks. Eventually, he started to find a bit of gold. He dug a bit more and he found that there was quite a bit of gold. So he figured that he was on a very rich seam of gold. So he carefully covered up uh, what he'd done and he trekked back to Williamsburg uh, in Maryland and told a few relatives and very close friends that he had found the big one. And uh, on the basis of his assurances, they raised a significant amount of money and they bought a whole bunch of mining equipment and shipped it out to Colorado and, uh, and set it up and they started drilling and mining and they filled a car, you know, like one of those iron ore Oh yes, things yeah, yep. with uh, gold. So the you know in the first wow, few weeks what? they found an enormous amount of gold. Yeah, and they went, we've hit it big, right? It was nowhere enough to pay off the money that they borrowed. Right, but they realised that with a lot of hard work they would soon pay off their debts, and then huge profits would follow. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, after a few weeks, the gold completely dried up. There was no more gold coming out of that mine at all. But they were convinced there was gold still there. Mm-hmm. So they kept digging. They kept mining. They kept drilling. And they kept going. And they kept pouring more and more money in to keep the mine going and to continue to pay off the equipment they'd bought. Yep. And they probably got to the stage where they should have given up, but they did not give up. They just they, they, they couldn't give up, right? Because they'd gone to their friends and relatives and raised the money. And if- they blew the lot. They have to go back and face these people. Yes. Yeah. Right. So they kept going. Right. They were hard workers and they kept drilling and they kept digging until eventually they just had to admit defeat. There was no more gold. And to, I mean, imagine the heart wrenching decision they had to make. <laughs> <laughs> but they, had, they eventually had to give up and go, there's, you know, there's no more gold here. Yep. So they were able to sell a whole bunch of the equipment to an old junk guy. Junk dealer, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and they kind of got back on the train, tails between their legs, went back to Williamsburg. Ouch. Now, the junk dealer, you've probably got a picture in your head of uh, drunk, uh, <laughs> junk uh, dealers um, and perhaps not being too smart. Well, this guy was actually very smart. And he kind of went, hmm, what if I got some expert help? So he went and got a mining engineer and asked the mining engineer to do an assessment of the, of uh, the lease. The lease. Yeah. And the mining engineer went, these guys didn't fail because of you know, their lack of hard work or anything. They failed because they just didn't understand fault lines and how gold seams operate. The gold will only it'll be less than three feet from where they're currently digging. And so the junk guy started up the machinery, just changed the direction a little bit, dug for three feet and struck one of the richest seams of gold in the Colorado gold rush. Oh, my God. Made millions. Really? The lesson from Napoleon Hill's book is that you shouldn't give up. It's almost like a combination of you shouldn't give up, but you should also maybe get some help yeah, along yeah, the way, right? Yeah, yeah, think a little bit broader than just brute force and perseverance. Yeah, because what was going through my head as, as you were telling the story was, uh, you know, I kept on thinking, yeah, they're digging themselves a hole. <laughs> and what do they say about digging yourself a hole? Ah, yeah, Confucius says, man in hole should stop digging. <laughs> ah. Yeah. So, But no, that's great. I like that story. And um, 
oh God, it's it's so you sort of see it over and over again, don't you? In terms of um, people who are just not not realizing that okay, maybe you do have to change direction. You have, I see this particularly in government. I guess the rewards mechanism there in government. Once someone told me once that in private enterprise, if you do ten things and you get one thing wrong, your score is nine. In government, if you do ten things and you do one thing wrong, your score is minus one. Yeah, I was the one who told you that. Right. Okay. Yeah. There you go. And and so the and that's the thing. You know, you, you just keep going because you don't want to have a minus one against you. You want to just keep going. Whereas I don't know. Um, almost like that courage to sort of say, okay, this is not working. Let's change tack. What do they call it in the Silicon Valley language? Uh, oh, they uh, call language? it, you have a pivot. The pivot. That's yeah, it. They don't needed, particularly like that phrase, but... <laughs> they needed to pivot. Yes. So why, why does this story work? Well, what are the things that um, jump out for us that sort of set this story up as something that works for us? Well, from the perspective of me telling the story, I was kind of really conscious of the embarrassment Yes. That they were trying to avoid. Yes, right. right. The fact that their reputation was on the line. So that was one of the things that was playing out in my mind. Yes. Yeah. And I think that it comes across too because, you know, that's one of the, the reasons, you know, that's one of the driving forces. So you understand where these guys are coming from and what their motivation is. You don't want to upset the family back home because you've borrowed so much money off them. I guess the other thing too is just that, that sense of frustration. Can sort of feel it if they can only just work harder. Right? Oh, in fact, oh yes, like Animal Farm, George Orwell, Boxer, the draft horse. The answer was work harder. Work harder, yeah. So I think that's where they were coming from. You know, I like the fact that the person who unlocked the value was the junk the dealer, junk guy, right? Because yeah. again, you know, it's a bit unexpected. You don't think of junk guys like that, and fact that he was an opportunist. He just saw it there and he went, oh, well, maybe I'll, I'll get my buddy who uh, knows a little bit about the geology of this area to, to give me some pointers. Yeah. Look, another reason why I think that story works well yes. is because the, the whole idea of uh, demonstrating that you are like the audience. So everyone in the audience has probably had that experience. Certainly I haven't. I know we have uh, – uh, in our running this business for nearly 14 years, um, of times where you think, should I give up? Or other times where you think, did I give up too early? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, right. so when is the right time? When is the right time to actually throw the towel in? Yes. Um, so that probably adds to the to the connection with the audience and yes. the ability to influence. There's a resonance there. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And as Gialdini, Robert Gialdini says, we're most influenced by people who are like us and that story sort of demonstrates a typical human experience that many of us would have had. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Uh, is there anything we would do to make that story even better, do you think, Mark? Well, I think, well, you know, the usual thing, I would, you know, the one way to make that story even better would be to practice it more. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the having a, maybe a bit of a more of a character development of the, of the actual guys who are digging, you know, I'd like to know a little bit more about them, you know, apart from their name, but that's, I think that could add to the story. Of course, you don't want to overload these stories, especially when you're telling them in a business context. It's not like you're Malcolm Gladwell and you've got a large book that you can fill to tell all the lovely character yeah, details like that he three does. three or 4,000 words to tell the story. That's it, exactly. Yeah. So um, you don't have that luxury, unfortunately. But a little bit more on the character development would be good. 
But apart from that, I think that's it's a nice, compact story. Yeah, and so what do you think? How would this story be used in a business context? Well, I think if you're a leader and you really do believe you're not that far, but you see that the team is is flagging, that would be a story to sort of say, hey, guys, you know, we don't want to give up, but maybe we need to look in different directions at this point. You know, can we get more innovative here? Can we bring some insight? Can we? Because I think it's this combination. It's not just a matter of not giving up because you can not give up and just dig a deeper hole. I think the, for me, the story there is a, a combination of not giving up but having some smarts. Okay, I totally. But I can also see that you could use that story to make those two points separately. Right. So, you know, there's a point about let's not give up. And yep. there you emphasize how hard they worked and how they gave up. Uh, and it's not so much about the, the fact that they didn't understand fault lines or anything, they just stopped before they hit the vein. Yeah, the yeah. land of God, right? So, folks, we're going to keep going with this project because we are so close to getting it right. We're just going to keep going. Yeah. But the other one is might might be where you want to bring new ideas, maybe some consultants in, or or to get some different ways of thinking into your project. You can yep. tell the story and say, and you emphasise here the fact that the junk guy had the foresight to engage somebody with a completely different perspective and some expertise that was relevant to the problem. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it has uh, quite good different ways you can actually use it, really. Yeah. The other, the other um, perhaps way of using that story is to throw the story out and actually get people in the audience to sort of bring their experiences of times where they've given up too early or they've not given up or, you know, just to draw out that real sense of, hey, this is something we all do. And and I think that would get an enormous amount of engagement. I think often we we think of storytelling as the, the, the leader standing in front of the group and just telling this wonderful story to everyone going, oh, that's such a good story. I'm, I'm going to change my behavior now. Well, quite frankly, we know that doesn't work. If you can do something that gets everyone talking, you know, oh, I think this is yeah. this is a story that could do that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so on, on another business application, well, I'm just going to paraphrase what, what you just said there, yeah. is where you're in a situation where, um, yep, folks, you know, we're working hard. Sure, we can give up. But before we give up, let's think, what are the things that we could do? Yeah. What, what can we try to make sure that we haven't, forgotten about the fault lines. Yeah. So let's have a conversation. What can we do to make sure that we've covered every angle, we've tried every possibility before we decide to pack this in? Yeah. Yeah. So I think there are some good ways of using it. Yeah. Starting, starting a conversation. Yeah. I like it. Right. Well, what do you reckon, Mark? Uh, for this, given the applicability of it, the likelihood of retelling it, the sort of the impact of the story, how would you uh, give this as a rating? Yeah, I am going to go with a seven now, and there's a number of reasons for that. One of them is it's some of the details are hard to remember. You know, Williamsburg, Maryland, uh, Colorado. So I actually had, I made a couple of notes before I told that story. So it might be difficult to tell again off the cuff, but certainly if you practiced it, yeah, you could use it'll it. It'll start to stick. So it, I think it's a very powerful story in particular applications, but probably not, not one that, uh, that has a, a huge range of applications. Yeah. But, you know, I can imagine it's the sort of story that you know, you'd, you'd have up your, your sleeve and in a conversation it would just pop to mind. And, you know, after a while 
this, and this is one of the beauties of storytelling, right? After a while, a group of people would know that story. And then you would only have to say three foot from gold and everyone would get it. They would yep. have the whole understanding. So you've given this shortcut to quite a complex and a nuanced idea. So I think when those sort of stories with a nice little tagline like that, I think have a lot of power. So I would give it a seven as well, and I'm sort of for the similar reasons, but I think it actually has a lot of possibilities. Well, that's good. That's another great story. It's interesting here, you probably notice a bit of a trend. It's not like we're not throwing out stories which are just, well, lay down the audience and everyone just is amazed and, and bowled over. A lot of storytelling is, is telling multiple stories, right, and reinforcing points and and giving examples, and they don't have to be big ones, but it's those things that the stories will be the things that people remember and, uh, you know, they'll be the things that inspire little actions along the way. You can never tell what people will be inspired by as well. So keep that in mind. Yeah, so thanks for listening to Anecdotally Speaking and tune in next week for another episode of How to Put Stories to Work. 